BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Have you ever heard the Skank and Pickle song? It's Margaret Cho from their 1994 record, Sing Along with Skank and Pickle. Well, it nearly became the theme song for Margaret Cho's mid-90s ABC sitcom. The TV executives rejected it for different reasons, one of those being that they wanted to call the show All-American Girl instead of The Margaret Cho Show. It's a fun, ultra-catchy ska song that very well could have invaded mainstream culture in a way even greater than the mid-90s ska punk songs that were on the radio. But that didn't happen. Regardless, Margaret was a fan of the music and hung out with Skank and Pickle, often dancing on the side of the stage during their shows. But her love for ska and punk goes back to the 80s. The underground music scene meant a lot to her and her development as a person and as a comedian. And she's forged a successful career in comedy and TV over the years. She's currently on the road doing comedy. She has a big show at the Wiltern in LA on May 6th. She has a reoccurring guest role in the upcoming second season of The Flight Attendant on HBO Max. And she will appear alongside Bowen Yang in the summer rom-com Fire Island, premiering June 3rd on Hulu. We're pretty big fans of comedy here on the podcast. We've had on Ian Fidance. Yeah, Scott King of Comedy. Scott King of Comedy. We had on Kyle Kinane. And now we've got Margaret Cho. Wow, I can't, I'm amazed that uh, she agreed to do this show. I can't believe Margaret Cho did this show. She's great. She's, like, iconic. I mean, I've been a fan of her since, uh, I want to say, maybe even early 90s. Like, mid-90s, definitely. But I'm I'm trying to remember. I know that when um, Skank and Pickle were had the song and there was there was talk about them doing the theme song, I knew I already knew who she was and I was a fan. Right. Yeah. So she was a big name and, and she's continued to work and... Keep her name out there. I love Margaret Cho. Wow, she's the best. Hope we get to talk to her again at some point in person as friends. And hopefully do some skanking. Yeah, I want to go to a show <laughs> with Margaret Cho. <laughs> so I was um, I was re-listening to uh, It's Margaret Cho yes. uh, a few times this morning. Great song. 
It's a great song. Great song. I I think maybe one of the better songs on that uh, already good record, Sing Along with Skank and Pickle. Yeah, they're so great. And um, I uh, really love Mike and I know them. Gosh, I've been friends with um, Mike and uh, just that that whole scene for 30 plus years. Um, you know, East Bay, Scott has really kind of informed my life. And so the song is, is perfectly uh, reminiscent of that era and going to shows and uh, being part of that scene. I heard you say once that um, you had had several songs written about you, but uh, it's Margaret Cho is your favorite. It's my favorite. <laughs> I've had many songs written about me, but this is my favorite. I think it well. It's also I think um, one of the only ones that includes my um, given name and my surname. <laughs> and also, uh, <laughs> uh, that usually don't include surnames. Not all the time, sometimes maybe, but um, so yeah, it's a, I think it, it, it's a bop. I love it. Would we know any of the other songs that have been written about you? I don't know. Um, some of the ones I'm like, I listened to many years later, I'm like, oh, I recognize myself in it. And then I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe only I know. Also, I could be wrong. But then, you know, if you live around rock and roll for long enough, you recognize it. And, you know, when you're in and out of these relationships, and it could just be sort of like these gestures or moments that we remember. I mean, songwriters, I think, for the most part, we don't always write about one person necessarily. It's generally like, uh, it can be like a lot of memories kind of jammed together to sort of inform a subject or an idea. Um, like the famous song Rosanna by Toto may not necessarily be about Rosanna Arquette entirely, <laughs> but you know, uh, you ought to know may not entirely be about, uh, Dave Coulier. Um, so there could be a lot of things there. There's like a lot of things happening when you're writing songs. But we do know that it's Margaret shows about you. That one we can be certain about. 
<laughs> we can be certain because of the surname aspect. So it's undeniable. It's like DNA. It's like, a, you know, and also um, East Bay uh, punk, East Bay ska. Um, you know, I, I question a band that has less than 11 members. <laughs> I know. Like you gotta have like the the horn section that's only available like a certain amount of time. like these ska bands are such a feat of organizational mastery oh yeah yeah trying to just get practice a regular practice session going is is a whole managerial feat it's hard and then what's great about uh horn players is they always pick up things really fast because they always play horns and strings are always in demand, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So they're very fast learners. So Kevin Dill, you remember Kevin Dill, right? Of course. Yes. So um, he's, I'm friends with him. He sent me a photo of you and another person dancing during a Skank and Pickle show. You can see Ian Miller and he said it's from Anaheim. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know exactly what that show is. That is the weird, um, it's kind of like a, I don't know if it's it a cosplay, like cafe. It's like a Shakespearean, like old world theater cafe thing. And they had punk shows there, but it was also like a, like a German Hofbrau restaurant. Wow. And uh, you, see, so he said you were, you, you, you were dancing the whole show at the side of the stage. Always. <laughs> I always make my way up to either the pit or side of stage. And um, yeah, it, to me, it's just a very natural part of going to shows and, um, you know, Skanking Pickle or any ska show, whether that's like Rancid or Operation Ivy or whatever you're doing, you've got to be side of stage dancing. Yeah. Do you remember the friend that's uh, with you at that show? It's probably Ebby Parker. Okay. Um, she, she looks uh, like Lisa Loeb. She's kind of got glasses on. She looks just like Lisa Loeb. All right. So we were very 90s. Maybe this this is like 90s, early 2000s, probably 90s. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we had the best time. Yeah, she's wearing she's wearing um, overalls and a flannel tied around her waist. Oh God, yeah. You have on a white crop top and a and a <laughs> white um a white rosary, a really long white rosary. Right. Yes. Yes. Do you know? Do you remember where you got that from? I think it may have come from a Halloween costume, um, and then it just sort of stuck. But because um, I remember Ebby and I actually had gone to uh, Amsterdam the year before and bought latex nun outfits, and then so like part of the jewelry we probably kept. So probably I think the rosary came from that. Do you remember who else played on that show? I cannot remember now. Um, it might have been. Well, I I keep thinking like maybe it's a mighty mighty boss tones or something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Something like that. Is that right? I, I actually I don't know. <laughs> I'm just curious. I don't remember. It's like one of those things. Like it could be no doubt. Yeah. You know, it could be um, like. Boston's it could be like you know the the any number I mean and you could also get very like esoteric and it could be like Bella Fleck like you know like you just don't know 
some of these shows like get very diverse. So you you said that like the East Bay punk ska scene uh, was very important and stuff. What were some of the bands besides Skink and Pickle that were um, that you were a fan of? My very favorite, who I was listening to again today, actually, because I was thinking about this podcast, and um, it's my favorite. Where uh, and you can't see right now, but I'm wearing a fishbone T-shirt. Oh yeah, yeah. there you so go. So they were my favorite, and I saw them so many times and i would see like the red hot chili peppers open for them i saw billy bragg open for them i think i saw tom york open for them wow oh weird like the weirdest combinations of bands but then they kind of make sense like later on you go oh okay i I could see that um because fishbone again is one of those very like expansive uh very like multi-instrumentalist um, attracted all sorts of people to their shows because there was no sort of, they were like very much playing in a lot of ways, very traditional Scott in the uh, Jamaican British style, but mm-hmm. filtered through an East Bay lens. So you had a lot of different people. So they were probably my favorite. I would see them a lot with the Uptones, which is another favorite band of mine. Yeah, they're like the uh, first ska band from the East Bay. Oh my God, they're so great. And uh, they still play, um, which I, yeah. I didn't realize, but they're very, uh, very cool. Um, so another band that's more like power. So I have a power pop arm to all of this so that I get into like um, the Red Rockers, which is more power pop. And then Translator, which is also more power pop. These are sort of like East Bay, San Francisco, like bands that are, that kind of ilk um anybody who would have opened for sparks yeah mm-hmm. uh i would uh go see like because i saw sparks a number of times over that period um because i really love sparks and so then um yeah operation ivy uh rancid there was a there was a place that was in the bay area that i feel like was in um I'm not sure exactly. It was kind of like almost in the south of market, maybe, but it was called the farm. I don't know if you ever mm-hmm. went there. It yeah. was like they had punk shows. Yeah, they had punk shows. Where was it? Was it in the? Was it in the Western Edition or was it? I can't remember exactly. Like I can't, can't picture like how to get there. In my mind, Glen Park. <laughs> Where was it? Do you remember Adam? Where the farm was? I, I'm I'm drawing a blank. I, I it was a little bit before my time coming to shows. Um, in San Francisco, but I've I've read about it and I I know I know the name. It's like a weird um like now would be very expensive, you know, kind of property mm. in San Francisco, but um then it was like south of market or something like that and it was a very um it, it was an actual working farm. So they had uh, goats and um chickens and you know like a barnyard, but then they had this silo that had the most violent pit that if you got in you really had to have like kind of body armor or something because the people in the farm pit were just like stomping and it was really scary it wasn't like physical violence but they were just dancing so hard and so manic that it was dangerous I just want to go back to fishbone a little bit what do you remember when the first time you saw fishbone was Gosh, it may have been uh, the Rock Against Racism shows mm. that were going on um, where uh, Husker Du would play. 
and they were like all day and like Jello oh. Biafra would be like hosting. There would be like these very long day shows where you would see like Flipper and like all of the um, kind of very like Black Flag and all of the very sort of big punk bands. So they may have been like Rock Against Racism that became sort of Rock Against Reagan. So I would say it would be like early 81, 82. Okay, so you saw them super early. So yeah, they, I mean, they're, they're amazing and they're still good. But um, what was your impression? Like, what was that show? The, uh, the live energy, the performance, everything. What was your, can you remember your impression? I was so uh, excited because it was really a party atmosphere. And it was so, um, I just love when there's a lot of, instruments like there's a lot of sound there's a lot of beats that it's like beats per minutes are so fast mm -hmm. like it's so it's faster than like when you're physically playing it's faster than um edm like we didn't have <laughs> like loops or sequencing or any even like a 808 like a drum machine didn't exist really for us so you're doing this all like analog that's very hard to have these beats like overlay on um you know this kind of scott like thing and there's a lot of drums a lot of uh horns and a lot of um just like people kind of partying that maybe necessarily wouldn't even know each other outside of the show mm -hmm. yeah because it was like breaking down racial barriers breaking down age barriers you know, there was like so much. So there's like also the shows at the Mabuhe, which I was a little bit too um, young to go to those shows, but they would let you go to the shows across the street at the Stone. Mm -hmm. So on Broadway, there was those two clubs there across the street from each other. And the Mabuhe Gardens was this punk club that had a Filipino restaurant. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've read about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this was like uh, a whole, it was a whole sort of like network of clubs that sort of like, there, there was like in the eighties, like later in the eighties, there was like a hard rock club that was above the Mabuhay called the On Broadway. And there was like more heavy metal shows. And then, then you would have like a heavy metal kind of influence too, that you would see like King Diamond and bands like, you know, uh, early early like maybe metallica early early um anthrax yeah pantera yeah. those kinds of bands so um that was very much like where scenes mixed but what was great about fleshbone shows is that you had no racial barriers you had no class barriers because you had like rich kids from university high school who love ska and then you had um punks of color which punks of color we sort of get dismissed mm -hmm. in like people think of punk as being a very white movement but punks of color is very real you know we're yeah. all sort of followers of like polystyrene and like very much like annabella lewin and love that like identification of like a woman of color in punk so that was what i love about fishbone is that you had um no barriers in terms of class race a gender um there was also homo punks which you had like pansy division and mm -hmm. these kinds of like great kind of like homo scenes that would later um become 
bands like Texas is the reason and and uh, that kind of stuff. So it was it was really a very united front of like people who just love music and um, you could sort of check all of these biases in a way and get in get in the pit. I don't like Kid Rock, but I do think that you should get in the pit and love someone. <laughs> <laughs> right back after this what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving made with natural ingredients hero bread supports gut health promotes weight management and helps maintain blood sugar hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls Head to Hero.co to shop today. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow. But I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Do you remember what your first show was that you went to? My very first show uh, of all um, was the, uh, it was actually the Go-Go's. And it was at the Greek theater mm. and it was uh, the vacation tour. So it would have been 80, I think 81, something like that. Uh, very early. Um, and it was like, uh, it was the most exciting thing. So it was, yeah, it was Berkeley. It was um, taking Bart out and uh, it was so exciting. Yeah. How, how was that? Like, Wanting to go to shows, you know, so you were talking about going to a lot of East Bay punk Scott type shows, living in San Francisco, would you have to like ever leave early to catch BART to get back home? What was that? What was traversing that like for you? So I had friends who lived um, in uh, like around Lake Merritt. I also had friends who lived in, uh, who were going to Cal at UC Berkeley, who lived at Barrington Hall, which Barrington Hall also was a very notorious kind of like um, it was like Animal House, but instead of alcohol, it was um, hallucinogenics. <laughs> so it was very <laughs> like um, kind of like a frat, but instead, but it wasn't a frat. It was like um, very. It was like feminist, revolutionary, but also with crazy drugs, and people would just do lots and lots of drugs there, and they had um, punk shows there all the time so you could see a million bands um anytime down in the mess hall the dining hall and uh then i would just stay there overnight or stay there for 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 weekends can you recall um the craziest punk show you ever saw 
any venue? And the craziest punk show, oh, uh, I mean, the, 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 actually the craziest shows, oddly, would be like comedy shows at mm. um, the Holy City Zoo in San Francisco on Clement Street, which was um, across the street from my first apartment there. And uh, so we would go in and um, Robin Williams was actually the secret owner because he used to be the doorman in the 70s oh. before he was famous. So he would come and he would do shows like late at night. But the shows there were so crazy because um, you would have uh, this one guy, would he um, would get on stage and he would, it was almost like Gigi Allen, but it was piss. And he would pee in a glass and then he would drink it. <laughs> and then he would do really corny comedy. And um, so... These shows would be like kind of, uh, you know, uh, upended by, um, you know, all sorts of different crazy comics and, and like character comics and really weird things happening. Like, cause the eighties was like a time for like really character driven, like comedy where you weren't, I guess, early sort of like punies, like that would be like emo Phillips, mm -hmm. but it wasn't emo. It was just weird people. And then they, that would end with Robin Williams doing a set. So those are probably the craziest shows that I remember. Yeah, you can't really beat uh, a guy drinking piss and telling corny jokes. Really um, corny. <laughs> but at the very beginning, so that would be like at like 7.30. Um, it's very weird. Like th those are probably the weirdest shows that I remember. Punk shows were always pretty um, straightforward, I guess. Uh, I mean, I was in a gore show. That was pretty crazy in 2012. Where was that at? Bonnaroo. Oh, okay. It uh it was before uh Day died, so uh R.I.P. Um, but it was like uh so weird to be in the green room beforehand with them because they eat a lot of Altoids to keep themselves <laughs> um kind of refreshed inside those giant costumes. Oh wow, yeah, that makes sense. Because they're in they're really and it was very hot, you know, it's June and it's Tennessee. So, you know, it's very suffocating to be inside of the costume. So they're eating like lots and lots of Altoids. So the, the whole uh, tent is like a cloud of not pot smoke, not whatever drugs, whatever. It's, it's Altoids. It's like peppermint. That's crazy. And then, so I did the show with them and they really just um, had all their suits like filled up with blood and they just shot blood, like the fake cherry uh, blood at me so it was like covered in the gore blood which was to me really exciting as a gore fan yeah and um you know to be a part of that was really incredible what you were saying about um fishbone and stuff in the 80s like for me like i saw skank and pickle the first time i saw skank and pickle which was my first ska show was in 92 i was like a senior in high school and I liked, I liked, you know, I liked all kinds of underground, you know, music that I was hearing about, but it tended to be kind of aggressive. Mm -hmm. And I, I was a little intimidated by that stuff live. But when I saw Skank and Pickle, I was immediately taken by the um, fun, inclusive energy that didn't feel dangerous. It actually felt like, like it was, it was wild in that it was very up, upbeat, but it wasn't, it didn't feel like this, like, I'm walking into this thing that was gonna, you know, that was scary. It felt like this is come on in, everyone's welcome here kind of vibe, which just immediately made me a, a, an instant fan, you know, that night. 
Yeah, it's true. It's the, the um, and the, what is so funny is like, you know, you think punk rock, there's like full of like um, this very uh, scary energy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like most of their songs, like they're talking about Degrassi. <laughs> <laughs> like it's very like innocent. And it's one of the things I love about ska and reggae in general is that it's all, it's the music of hope because um, all of the guitar strokes are up. Mm-hmm. So when you look at heavy metal, everything is like down. That t- Tony Iommi, like everything's going down strokes. But like with everything reggae and everything Scott, it's the emphasis on the upbeat. It's all upbeat because it's like a trying to lift your spirits. And, you know, whether that's a sort of based just around the kind of immigrant um, hopes and dreams for a new country whether that's um, a new political outlook, um, whether that's, you know, growing up sort of nerdy and trying to be punk rock. And ska is like this avenue of punk rock, which requires pretty uh, diligent musicianship. Yeah. That um, I think people don't even understand like how good of a musician you have to be to be be a good ska player. Like punk rock is, traditionally like three chords it's simple it's like for people who can't play but for ska is like very complicated with lots of different kinds of rhythms and you're taking it in world beats and, and you're really um you know incorporating horns and it's a lot happening so i i love the the nerdy side of it um and the welcoming side of it yeah and it's like too and like i w- it wasn't lost on me in that first show like the silly songs and then the sudden like here's a very explicitly anti-racist song. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like, wow, this is cool. You know, it's like really the full spectrum. <laughs> yeah, there's so much depth and and there's so much beauty. And I I really appreciate that too. To my understanding, you met Mike Park um, at an ACLU event where you were a speaker and they were a band playing? Yes, I guess so. That must have been... Um, God, it's such a long time ago. It's so weird because I'm like not even remembering exactly how that went, but I've just known them for so long. So I don't know, but I, <laughs> I really, um, yeah, I don't even know, but we just started hanging out. Like we would just like hang out, you know, they um, would uh, take me to like a donut shop and we'd get to go in the back and you know, get to see how they dip the donuts in the chocolate. Like it was very like weird uh, adventures, but it was really funny, like silly kid stuff, but really fun. Yeah. So you're talking about um, you went to uh, Vallejo to Royal Jelly Donuts, right? Yes. (laughs) I know. I've been there. Yes. Uh, It was their favorite place because it was like, um, it was a donut shop, but they had like fried food and all kinds of other stuff mm-hmm. and they i remember when they took me there they just could not stop laughing they're like look at the menu it was like fried fried chicken you know <laughs> yeah they laughed so much about just these funny things like ridiculous things and um they were friends with the people that ran it i feel like it's open 24 hours too because mm-hmm. i also remember they would keep very late hours so be up all night doing stuff I assume you were um, you were hanging out mostly with Mike and Kevin, or were you hanging out with the rest of the band? 
I think that we, I remember mostly hanging out with Mike and Kevin, but then ended up, ended up going to a bunch of shows. So I, I met everybody, but um, probably closest with Mike, Mike and, and Kevin for sure. Do you remember what your first impression of Skank and Pickle was when you saw them? I just was like really in love with the sound. Like to me, it was a very familiar um, kind of sound because they were like definitely from the school of shows that I had been seeing like Fishbone and like um, the Uptones and, and Operation Ivy and all of these, you know, they're sort of like the second wave of that. So it was just a familiar kind of sound. Yeah. So, so did you see Operation Ivy live? Yes, I must have seen them. I must have seen them like, and they were, it was not for a long, because they weren't very long lived. But then I remember Kevin Dill saying, Operation Ivy is the only band. Like, and, and we were like, you're so right. Like you, you know, you have to get the fact that Operation Ivy is the only band. And then um, it was great later, I got to become friends with Tim Armstrong and I was able to relate to him. Don't you know that Operation Ivy is the only band? <laughs> <laughs> what did he have to say to that? He was like, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's so cool. it's such amazing. a funny blanket statement though to just really i mean and kevin dill is so funny because he was just like really had such conviction that operation ivy is new but, anyway, but i understand that feeling like sometimes you get in so deep into a band that that really is the only band and i've had that uh for a couple of times in my life once was a very deep engagement with the beach boys that got super intense where I could not stop listening to the Beach Boys. And it was probably for like two years um, that I was going to lots of wonderment shows and um, which is basically, that's what like, you know, those shows are, it's like, it's wonderments yeah. because it's, that's, that's everything. But it's such a funny, funny thing, like to get obsessed that one band and then you just can't, can't break out. Yeah. I think a lot of people have, um, Wished that they had seen Operation Ivy live, you know. Yeah. Because there was very little opportunity to see them, and and they weren't really that big, you know, but, but prior to breaking up. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just like one of those things of, um, I I can't even remember. I must have seen them like at like Gilman, mm -hmm. something like that, or like um, it was probably like a Berkeley Gilman. I I can only say like I think that's probably got to be it what was it like going to Gilman uh, at that time not as violent as the farm and not as uh, <laughs> intimidating as the Mabuhay Gardens and probably much more of um like uh I, I think it, you know that was sort of a very lauded place a very famous exciting place to go um but yeah again you know, when you're seeing some of these bands, it's sort of like a lot of the lines between class, race, gender, sexuality, all of it blurs because everybody wants to be there. Whether that's seeing somebody like Billy Bragg is another artist that I can say where it's all sort of everybody wants to go and it's not, um, it's a very wide range. Um, it, it's interesting how an artist like that can kind of cut through and really appeal to so many different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gilman um, was uh, in the early couple of years was like a uh, much more of a, 
a collective or a community center than a venue. And mm-hmm. they they would um, not um, even advertise who was playing. Just be like, mm-hmm. do did you go to the, did you go to Gilman during that era where it was more in that kind of early Tim Yohannan phase? I don't think so. I think it was probably later when they realized that this is sort of like a skate punk club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People are coming to see punk shows. I think that was probably more like you had sort of the schedule of you would go get on the BART, get there early, go to Passand, which is a delicious uh, Indian restaurant, like on Telegraph, I think. Mm-hmm. And then you would walk up to, to, you know, or something like that. Like there was like a whole thing. Um, try to find the naked guy. Do you remember the naked guy? The naked guy was like a student at um, Berkeley and he was a man. Oh yeah. And he just walk around. Yeah. I remember him. Yeah. With a backpack though, maybe a skateboard. Sometimes he'd, he'd have a little bandana hanging from the backpack to cover, cover himself. If he, like, yeah. <laughs> but he would, he would be naked. And then other times he would just be totally naked. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a whole, like a statement on, um, I, 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 I think, I'm not sure exactly what the statement was, but it was very, it was a very big deal. I remember in um, 90s Berkeley. I wonder where he is now. Yeah, maybe he's, he's wearing clothes. Who knows? It's cold <laughs> out there. It's a good way to just all of a sudden become incognito. Like he, he becomes invisible by yeah, putting on clothes. That's cool. <laughs> in Defense of Ska will return in a moment. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Music was something that was important to you uh, at a really young age then, live music and and music community. Yes, and um, it still is. And, um, but I think uh, now there's so, it's so easy to um, access music and access music all over the world and access so many different kinds of artists that are newer and yet paying tribute to older kinds of, music like it and I I'm definitely in this very like power pop driven nerdy side of it's like a very deep obsession of mine so um I love I love all these kinds of bands and I I miss that probably most during the pandemic is miss I miss going to live shows yeah what were you listening to a lot during the pandemic um listening to a lot of Orville Peck who was probably the last artist that I uh was out to see like actually two years ago to the day i uh, was out at his sound check trying to meet him so if you like a band you go out to their sound check and i was trying to meet him and he uh wasn't there so i i left him a, a note and then he his show ended up getting postponed because of the lockdown so he came to my show that night and then we became friends and i just did his uh, music video a couple of weeks ago um for his new record but um I listened to his music a ton. Um, I'm listening to a band a lot called uh, Bad Moves, which is a power pop band Mm. outside of um, Washington, D.C. I'm like super obsessed um, (laughs) with them. They're just so uh, in that kind of like 
power pop vein of um there's a mini i think it's a minneapolis band called shivers which i really love um but anything that's like kind of uh that sort of very rickenbacker influenced rock and roll that you can t- almost draw a line down um you know the the band love and then you kind of make all these like subcategories and then that would be or like the beach boys or or uh, the beatles too yeah yeah i found like you know talking to a lot of people and myself included like kind of during the pandemic really just listening to music that just kind of makes you feel good and kind of gives you comfort was kind of something mm-hmm. that uh happened I don't know. did that do you feel that way too especially about the stuff you're listening to that it just yeah this music you're listening to just kind of helped helped kind of make you feel <laughs> yes it sort of equalizes your uh internal sort of temperature like you just want to feel like kind of a little bit freer like I I think um a lot of it also gave me um nuclear war 80s uh cold war vibes where you're listening to a lot of like um that kind I, I think like oh vienna or like enola gay like it's like that kind of like thompson twins um depeche mode dark wave Mm -hmm. uh to get into that sort of like mood um because there's just sort of like the outside is dangerous so we'll be in our like spaceship and listen to this sort of nostalgic old synth pop was getting involved with going to music at a young age too. Did that give you a sense of, um, cause I know this did for me and I think Adam as well, you know, cause we both grew up in religious homes. It gave us a sense of like a new community and like a new way of seeing the world and a new path, even, you know, like I, did it have that kind of role for you? Absolutely. Because you just had a sense of um, freedom and a new community to dive into and then automatic friends. Cause if you love this music, everybody else like wants to talk about it. And so there's a great community almost ready-made for you. And it's a real refuge, I think, Yeah, you know, and, and it's like in the eighties and the nineties, yeah, there was a whole thing. Like you would go to, there was a record store on ninth Avenue, which got European imports and Japanese imports. And you would get like the latest whatever, or like the NME, which was like, to me, like the most incredible kind of thing, you know, and um, just to be around that was just so special. And just to experience history, like through music is very impressive. Like I remember going to England in 1994 and being there when I think the whole like Oasis versus, yeah, it's Oasis versus Blur. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah thing was happening it was like the tracksuit wars and it was just so incredible um so uh I'm more of an oasis I I, I do love oasis mm-hmm. but I I like I I think I like gorillas more than I like um high-flying birds I I do love blur too but I do love I love gorillas and I love but I think it's all um very uh fun to just go through history through music as well Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and Gorillaz has the East Bay connection with uh, Dell from Hieroglyphics. He rapped on yes. Gorillaz song. So great, so great. Yeah, I'm kind of. Uh, I think I maybe I'm more Team Blur, but I think it's just um, just those two. The two records I think are they have two amazing records, and the rest are kind of okay. 
what are they called? Um, I don't know. It's the, the ones with the most of the ones with the hits, but they all the album tracks are really good too. Oh, the one like um, with like song two and Park Life and yeah, that whole that whole era is just such a great Blur era. Yeah, but I'm I, I'm I'm down with Oasis too. I'm totally. I don't want them to fight. You don't want to pick sides. Okay, we see how it is. <laughs> I don't want them to fight, but I get it if they fight. I I think um, they're. Uh, I can't remember which fight that um, uh, the Skanking People were in a band. Were in a band fight, like a fake band fight with another band, and I can't remember what, but it was like. Huh. Yeah, they, they they suck five dicks and there's only four of them. And then they would like <laughs> keep on holding up four fingers up to my face, like to emphasize they suck five dicks. There's only four of them. Like one of them has to double back. And like they kept on like really trying to show me four fingers to just show how many <laughs> band members there were as opposed to dicks that there was like. Which to me is really a funny visual that I I was like what can't remember what it what band it was but it was really funny more. Oh man, we got to find out this uh, this band who was at war with Skank and Pickle. We've heard some stories about uh, Kevin Dill uh, tormenting bands. Do you remember <laughs> Kevin tormenting any bands? Um. Oh gosh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I can't remember now. Okay. For people out there who don't know, Kevin Dill is Skank and Pickle's roadie, but he was kind of like, you know, an unofficial member. Like he's even on mm-hmm. the cover of Sing Along with Skank and Pickle. So could you describe what Kevin Dill's like to people? He's like, he's like um, Bez, but not dancing. If you like the Happy Mondays. So there's like yeah. that dancing guy. For, I yeah. think his name is Bez or Des or something. <laughs> Bez, Des, Deza, Debeza, something like that who is a member but not it's almost like the guy that would follow uh p diddy with um the umbrella (laughs) do you know what i'm talking about yeah like it's like uh oh jerome from worst day is a good one in the time yeah yeah it's like the attendant it's like the butler almost of the band that's not (laughs) in the band but an essential member of the band so it's yeah. like uh but uh bez is probably the one that i would most closely say that was probably the role of of, of kevin Dill. i became a fan of the band that i got to know mike and um he's like well, you want to hang out and so at the time he was living in berkeley and he, um at like he was staying at somebody's dorm like he wasn't a student there <laughs> which was funny then he's like so i got there and he's like we're gonna go see dill and i was like okay i didn't know he's talking about and so we drove to vallejo and that's when he, that's when i met kevin he was just like he was like you gotta you gotta see dill <laughs> yeah dill's really dill's really important dill's yeah. really really important like yeah. i i i agree you have to see dill you have to see dill <laughs> mm-hmm. he's funny funniest guy too He's so funny and fun and really without agenda. Like, you know, like that's the thing that <laughs> yeah. I really love about Kevin Dill is that there's no agenda. There's no underlying uh, weirdness. There's, it's so pure and so joyful. So I, I really, I really admire him. So I remember, so back when uh, Pickle were, um, you know, in the mid nineties, when they were playing the, Margaret it's Margaret show at shows they would they would go like 
we, um, you know, Margaret Cho, she's got this new show coming out called The Cho Show, and she asked us to write the theme song, and here it is. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously, that's not what happened. But what, was that part of it true? Or was that just, was that kind of a, a bit they were doing? No, it was true. We were trying to make it happen. Like we were trying to work it out. But it's like one of those things where when you try to get Disney to cooperate with your punk rock ideals, it doesn't always work itself out. So it was very, <laughs> it was very, it, you know, we had, we made a valiant effort. We tried, but unfortunately didn't work. I think that I have used the song uh, in other capacities, I'm sure over the years, because I, I love it, but uh, it didn't get to be that. And also the, the the title of the show became All American Girls. So it didn't work out too bad. Was um was the problem that the fact that they didn't use, you know, that the show's title changed or was it because they were like, I don't know about using a ska song? Well, also, no, it was it was also like um, we didn't have uh, a title sequence in the same way. Mm. So we had um, we didn't have like uh, like friends had the title sequence they could use um, like a song. We didn't have like a title sequence in the beginning where we could have a song. So that's oh. also part of it. So did you tap them while you were trying to get a show started or was it after you the, the studio already had said like we want to do a show with you? I think it was like all of it kind of came together at the same time. I think we also sort of tried. I wasn't, I don't know exactly the origin story on that, but um, it was all happening at the same time. Cause I remember at the time, cause I was super into the pickle world at the time. I was a fan of you as a comedian. Um, and I just remember hearing about this from them and then talking about it on stage. And it was so exciting. This idea that like, you were getting a show and the theme song was going to be skank and pickle song. It was like this most amazing like thing that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so good. You don't live in San Francisco anymore, right? Uh, no, I live in uh, Los Angeles, but um, I was just in San Jose two weeks ago, which has changed a lot. I mean, it's a very different, everything's so different there. So I, I um, and I had a place up there till 2016. Okay. So, are there any things in San Francisco that are gone now that you really miss? Um, oh gosh, I miss um, the old uh, Kabuki theater that was in Japantown that was like um, a music venue, which is, I think there's an AMC music theater now, a movie theater now, but there used to be great uh, music shows there. And I miss the I-Beam. I miss all of the uh, punk and um, rock and roll clubs on Hate Street, like the I-Beam or the Night Break, um, mm-hmm. those kinds of places. Um, I think uh, the Hotel Utah is still there. So you could probably go see like Mark Reitzel there. Um, and then they'll have, um, they'll have something, some things I think like, here and there but like the the music landscape is so different that i i couldn't tell you like i wouldn't know where to go see shows maybe the, is the great american music hall still there oh yeah oh yeah great american's still there but slim's slim's closed and they turned it this is awful they turned it into a dance club called yolo oh no <laughs> how bad is that <laughs> oh no slim's yeah. was great oh yeah i love Slim's. wasn't slim's owned by the people that own great american music hall yes or yeah, okay. So they sold Slims off, but they kept Great American Music Hall. Those two places are great. Yeah. Do you remember the the abandoned building with all the furniture <laughs> climbing around on the outside of it? Oh, where was that? 
it was like down towards the freeway, like maybe like Brannon. Oh gosh. I don't, I don't remember that. That was like my biggest memory of, of San Francisco. And there was like climbing out of the windows. There were like lamps and tables and chairs mm. all climbing all mm-hmm. over the outside of the building. And they, they just recently took all that down. I really miss that. That's too bad. I mean, yeah, there's so many things that are not there um, that uh, I, I, I would say it's, it's sad that it's not there, but everything has really changed so much. I've never lived in San Francisco. I lived in, I grew up in Gilroy and lived in San Jose, now Sacramento. But when they went like real tech bro-y, that was the weirdest transition to me. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what was that, like a decade ago, Adam, would you say? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. That was super weird. <laughs> yeah, so weird. Margaret, have you ever been to Gilroy? <laughs> the garlic capital? <laughs> I have driven through for like maybe like a date shake or like some kind of farm stand. Yeah, the, that there's plenty of them there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the town Adam and I grew up in. Yeah, it's it's very agricultural and mm-hmm. beautiful, but I, I don't think I've been there like j- just as a destination. Yeah, there would be no reason otherwise. <laughs> it's the festival, the Gilroy Garlic Festival. Right, but it's you know. It's just food and, you know, mediocre bands. <laughs> you know what I love? I love a farmer's market band. There's nothing I love more <laughs> than like a, a an upright bass, um, accordion, acoustic guitar. Uh, uh, you know, I love, I love, I love farmer's market music. It's to me, I, it's not even fun. I'm not even trying to be like sarcastic. <laughs> I legit love it. What are the kind of bands that play Gilroy Garlic Festival, Adam? Like, it's like country bands, like, I feel like doo Oh, we had a great one. We had a white reggae band called Inca Inca. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, they were interesting. I love it. Like, that's where you would see, like, a Zydeco. Yep. Band, like, Zydeco, like, bluegrass. I love, I love that stuff. It's so fun. Inca Inca was from San Jose, and I remember uh, Kevin used to call them Stinka Stinka. <laughs> uh margaret i on your new special the joke about the hitachi magic wand uh-huh making the lights in your neighbor's house flicker oh yes that destroyed me oh good so good <laughs> thank you i'm glad thank you so much for listening to in defense of Scott. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you normally stream or download episodes. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. It's at In Defense of Ska. And please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com backslash In Defense of Ska. You will get monthly bonus episodes extended interviews and commentary per episode, and access to the In Defense of Ska Discord. In Defense of Ska would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week. So you should go check out their other projects as well. Co-host Adam Davis has an amazing band called Omnigon. Give them a follow on Instagram and Twitter. It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. 
And if you've ever enjoyed one of the highly specific indefensive ska memes floating around the interwebs, it was likely the work of the bands I like only charge $18. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And on that note, we leave you by saying ska now more than ever. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.